So like I said, uh, we will be kind of catching up to where I was because we need to, nine months is too long to have not been together and just drop right back in. So if you will open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Don't worry, I'm not going all the way through Luke, just taking two portions, and it's right there on your outline. Uh, we're doing the introduction part. And, and what I'm, what I, the way I, I liken this to is that um, when I go mountain biking, when I first moved to this area, I had a friend, uh, Kent Kilgore, who took me into the mountains, Sycamore Canyon, by where we live, and just had a wonderful time riding. And he took me on all these trails, and, and so the next week he couldn't go, and I wanted to go by myself. So I went and got totally lost. Tried to find this one trail called Guadalasco, and I started up what I thought it was, and then after a while it was just straight up the whole way, and it was gravel. Well, it turns out I went up a hill called Hell Hill. <laughs> so I've never forgotten that. That's such just a great illustration of what happens when you don't know where you're going. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, I, I was able to find my way home and then started to learn the trails, and, and now it's all good. But that's, that's what I hope tonight. I hope tonight is, is a way of us kind of navigating before we hop into Acts 4, just reminding ourselves where we've been and why we're in where we're at in Scripture. So um, because bo- the book of Acts is actually part two of Luke's work, I want to go to Luke chapter one. And Luke, we have to remember, is he was a travel companion of Paul. He wasn't one of the original disciples. Many think he would, may have been from Philippi, and he was a doctor. We see several references to that. And he was a Gentile. So he offers a different kind of look at Jesus in his life, and he brings a particular set of skills, attention to detail. And, and he, we see in, in all of his works just attention to who is in charge and what their names are. And we have a lot of historical markers that really, uh, really uh, help solidify our faith in history. And um, there's been many people throughout the centuries who, who have become Christians because of the detail. Uh, oh man, William Ramsey, is that the, the, our, the famous explorer or art? archaeologist. Oh man, I'm forgetting the name. But he went out, he set out to disprove Luke and Acts. And after going through all the details, he said, Luke is a historian of first rate and he became a Christian. So I I love what we're going through right now. And again, because we're in Acts, I want to jump back to Luke and I want to read to you just the first uh, few verses here. And so his record begins this way. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, travel journal, of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So it's a book written by Luke, who was not an eyewitness to the Gospels. He became a Christian much later with Paul. All right? So, but his, the advantage he had is that he was a traveling companion of Paul for, I'll say, a decade at least. And, he, and Paul spent three years 
in Ephesus. He spent several years in Caesarea on the coast of Israel. He spent time in Jerusalem, and Luke was with him. So what do you think Luke was doing? Interviewing the eyewitnesses. Where else would he have the story of Mary being, you know, approached by an angel? Well, he talked to Mary. So we just see it's, a, it's an orderly account. To He was writing to, it looks like, a Greek noble or a, a Gentile noble and who had become a Christian. But this work is to give all, in, in, in written form, all that he had been taught. And so it's, it's to help establish the faith of this man, but we get the great blessing of it. So the account, it's, it's to establish the faith. That's one of the points I have, have, I have down there. But here's the deal. Our faith, the Christian faith, can handle the scrutiny. When people say they want to challenge our faith, and I'm like, oh, great. It's the test of time, and Jesus is real, so bring it on. Let's see what we can do. Don't, don't ever doubt your faith. Jesus is real. Jesus really came. If you ever have a hard time witnessing to somebody of some other cult or religion, stick to Jesus and go to Luke and and Acts. Let them see what Jesus did. Let them encounter him. And also, too, if you look at Luke, especially, I mean, Luke's works, he does a lot with talking about scriptures that were fulfilled. Here's the scriptures. Jesus is fulfilling them. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. Here's what's happening. Oh, it was written about. So he constantly refers to scriptures being fulfilled. And then, even with the miracles, we, we have, we you just see how they're, the point of the miracles is to draw attention to the speaker so that they can point to Jesus Christ. Right? So it's just, you just see that a lot. His plan is to, here's the word and here's the witnesses. Here's the miracle, here's the witnesses who saw it, and here, here's them talking about Jesus. All right? And it begins here in Luke, right after this, is that it's, it's the forerunner. The beginning of his gospel is all about John the Baptist and, and this amazing man who was the promised in Malachi, hey, there's going to be a forerunner coming. Well, John the Baptist is the one. And, and the gospel kind of takes off after that. But hey, the 400 years of silence are over. God is moving again. It just, it's like a freight train that just starts rolling and it's an amazing, amazing journey. But the focus is, again, the amazing Jesus. I mean, it's all about Jesus Christ. The life of his life. He's the promised deliverer king. He's the Messiah. And it's as told by the apostles and other eyewitnesses. He didn't just interview the apostles. He had access, you know, to the different stories. How did he know about this? He talked to the eyewitnesses. So it's, just a, it's a, a wonderful account. I love history. I love archaeology. And just this is a journey. I feel like you're on a journey through, you know, through time. Um, and then obviously it ends up, the, the, the great cliffhanger is at the end of, of the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read to you portions of Luke chapter 24. And it's an awesome ending. It's all about the resurrection and the ascension. But you're left hanging <laughs> at the book, which is good because it sets, sets the stage for part two. But I'll start in verse one of chapter 24 and then just kind of pick a smattering. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, the, these women who had seen where Christ was placed. They're depressed. They're not expecting anything. They just want to honor the Savior, this great teacher who, like, what's going on here? And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, 
Or they did not find a lie. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So here we have from discouragement to a little bit of confusion. Like they're, they're being approached by these two angels. By the way, there's a lot of angelic visitations all the way through Luke and Acts. But these two angels are saying, you guys, why are you here? Uh, it's empty. <laughs> but what great news, in conf- you know, it confounds them. And it just sets this new, the, these people who were discouraged, just sets them astir. If you look at what happens in the rest of that chapter. Matter of fact, I'll just go down to verse 13. We know this story. That very day, later on in the day, two of them, meaning disciples, not capital D disciples, the apostles, but two of the other followers, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're leaving. (laughs) And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Remember, eyewitnesses, right? I just want to highlight that, right? And he said to them, verse 25, dropping down, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that what? That what the prophets had spoken, referring scriptures. Hey, this is all, all this was supposed to happen. See what's going on here. Was it not necessary that the Christ, this Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Isaiah 53 And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. We call that the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus opened up the book. And that's what we're supposed to be, right? People of the book. But to show them, hey, this is supposed to happen. And he vanished from their sight in verse, at the end of verse 31 there, after explaining and opening, and, and he was sitting there and eating with them, and all of a sudden he just vanished, all right? So I'm just kind of giving you flavors of, of, of how it's left hanging here at the end. And imagine the people who are experiencing this amazing day. This is just later on that first day when he rose from the dead. And they said to each other, these two disciples, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they jammed back to the city. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, other disciples, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, as appeared to Simon, the other apostles, and now and the disciples. And then these two, then they told them what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And all of a sudden their eyes were open, and then at that moment, he vanished. Oh. <laughs> you guys remember... Think about what they were experiencing. This is awe-inspiring. This is, this is like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. <laughs> we talk about fantasy and myth and legend. This happened, really happened, to real people like you and us, uh, you and me, you and us. Verse 36, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood, uh, stood among them. Boom, he's there. And he said, peace be to you. Okay, a person shows up out of nowhere, locked room, 
And boom, he's there. I'm not thinking peace. I'm thinking run. (laughs) But he says, peace, (laughs) peace, (laughs) peace to you. Verse 44, and he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you see what I'm emphasizing here? He is going to the scriptures. Luke emphasizes that constantly. This is from the scriptures. This is a faith that is not new. This is Judaism, real Judaism, because the Messiah of Judaism has shown up. So any, any Jew who said they believed in the Yahweh of the Old Testament but refused to believe in Jesus now became, in God's eyes, not true Judaism. Does it make sense? Christians don't throw away the Old Testament. That's our book. And Jewish Christians, that's their book. Jesus is the promised one from the book. The Psalms, the prophets, the law of Moses. He's the one. And he said to them, verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And that happened a few times in the Old Testament. (laughs) And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Boom. End of story? No. Cliffhanger. Wait for the sequel. And that's what we get in Acts, right? So we get to see this amazing, this amazing life of Jesus doesn't end. Something else happens, and that's where we get into, the, into Acts. And here we have a story, real, not made up, real history of real people powerfully impacted by God through the Holy Spirit, by the teaching and preaching of the apostles, we see the church begin. And we see the world begin to get rocked. And that's what we have in, in Luke, now into uh, Luke's uh, part two in the book of Acts. So jump back over now, or go to uh, Acts chapter one. And then again, we're going to read uh, the first five verses here. And we're going to just keep reading, guys. Tonight's a night of just reading the scriptures and getting our minds back into this, into this portion of scripture. So first part, we call it examining our faith. In the first book, what we call the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. Notice that. Not all that Jesus did, but all that he began to do. Jesus is still alive, and that means he's still working. That's what Acts is. It's not the Acts of the Apostles, although that's what we think it is. It's really the work of Jesus... Through, by the Spirit he sent through the apostles to build his church. That's why we've entitled this series, uh, the series on Acts, Christ Building His Church. That's what it is. Christ is still working. It's, it, it dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, six weeks almost, with the risen Savior. Do you think that would change your world? Would that change how you decided to live your life? It changed them. It changed the direction of their life and what they were hoping for and looking for. They found it, and they wanted to tell others. And at times, I feel like we've lost it here. We get so surrounded in America with distractions that we forget why we're here. Folks, we're not here to have good careers, a home, money, friends. Those aren't bad in and of themselves, but those have in many ways become our idols, the wrong goal. Those are blessings for sure, but our goal is we're here to represent Christ, to proclaim Christ, to tell people about the Lord, to have, when we get together as church, to equip and encourage each other for the purpose of being salt and light. We are not secret agents. We are agents of the Lord for us on Fallbrook Avenue in Newbury Park. And I don't know your addresses, but I go through, that's where you're supposed to be during the week. That's where you're salt and light. And where you work, that's your secondary uh, salt and light place. And your family, when you have family get-togethers and they're not Christians, you're, you're agents of the Lord there, right? And, and that's what's happening here. These people, they saw these, they spent six weeks with the risen Savior. He appeared to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God the bigger purpose of life. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Hurry up and wait. (laughs) But why? To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so that's how, how Acts kicks off. Folks, it's grounded in history. This Jesus really showed up and really changed real people's lives. And again, all through the book of Acts, we're going to see names of rulers, names of whether Jewish or Gentile. We'll have uh, milestones of, you know, of places they've been. All through, it's a history. It's a history. It's a travel journal. And so that's why this is fun because we see it rooted in, in real people's lives. But it's founded on Christ, his person and his works. And, and then we see in the book of Acts that it's continued by the Spirit through his apostles. And what were they to be? The foundation of the church. Now, Jesus is the foundation, but he's called the chief cornerstone. But he said, you, my apostles, you're going to be the ones to, to lay the foundation. And what was their foundation? Their teaching. They taught what they learned from the Savior. They proclaimed. They, t- they say, hey, here's what we saw Here's what the truth is. Here's what he said, and we're telling it to you. And, and we're applying it to this new, this new thing called the church that we are. All right? So they built the foundation. Now, verses uh, 6 through, through 26, we have several things going on. But first of all, we have the ascension. All right? So again, remember, imagine you're there when this happens. Okay? This is not a sci-fi movie. This really happened. All right? We can see all these movies with the UFOs and all that. But this really happened to real people. So when he had come, they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, you're the real Messiah. 
And the real Messiah is going to be sitting on David's throne. Is it now? That's a legitimate question, right? Here's what he said. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He didn't chastise them for being wrong about asking the question. He said the timing is not now. Okay, so don't miss that. So I do believe Jesus, when he returns, he is going to sit on David's throne to fulfill all the promises that have been left unfulfilled in the Hebrew Scriptures to the Jewish nation, an ethnic group where they would be the center of the nations with the Messiah sitting on David's throne, the promised eternal ruler who would rule from Jerusalem, and the nations would come to pay him tribute. Because that's, that's the way it's set up in Isaiah. Just see all the prophets talking about this. So I do believe that's going to happen. So they weren't wrong in asking, but he said, it's not for you to know the times. What does he say? But you, verse 8, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that really, that verse is actually a good outline for the rest of the book. Because we see the first few chapters centered there in Jerusalem. And then the next portion goes into Judea and then Samaria. And then it goes to the ends of the earth. It really is a great outline for the book of Acts. And when he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. So when a person rides on clouds, if you're a Jew, you'd be thinking of... Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Behold, the ancient of days, you know, Daniel had this vision, and a man riding on the clouds, and, and in Psalms, when, there's, when God came, he'd be riding on the clouds like his chariot. So it's the war chariot of God. So we have the ancient of days, but we have another figure riding on the clouds to him, and he's giving an everlasting kingdom. So you guys understand, when this happens, they're thinking of, Elijah, when he was taken away, they're thinking of this Daniel figure. This, they're like, wow, they're watching this happen. And verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven, and do you blame, blame them, <laughs> just sitting there gazing, as, as uh, I'm sorry, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, oh, two men before when the, at the empty tomb, two men stood by them in white robes and said, man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven, riding on the clouds. So when he comes back, he's coming back, and he's coming back visibly and powerfully. But it's not there. He's not coming mildly next time. He's coming to conquer. So we've got the, we have the, the dying, suffering Savior the first time. But his return is going to be the conquering king. So that's, that's just the first part, his ascension. Again, <laughs> we can't go past this too quickly and just act like this is no big deal. <laughs> this is amazing to see. I wish I could have seen this. But then in verse 8, I, I want to highlight, I've already talked about, but this is our mandate, folks. He says, and you will be. Look, The time is not for me to be the king on David's throne yet, so you have a job to do, and you'll be my witnesses. What does this sound like? Matthew 28. Go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples. That's a command, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the the great Trinity doctrine there, 
So baptizing means you've welcomed them into the kingdom. They're, they're publicly professing their faith. That doesn't save them, but it's a sign of being, being one of his followers. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Good job, you too. That was so fun. That was a really fun baptism. But then it says, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So that teaching takes a lifetime, right? To obey all. It takes a lifetime to do that. So, but that's his, the mandate from the king. Right? These aren't optional things. We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be making disciples. And we're supposed to be making them wherever we go. So back to uh, verse 12 now. I kind of jumped back to that verse because I wanted to highlight that. <clears throat> Men. We see the, the official apostles being designated here because they do have a special place in the book of Acts. In verse 12 here. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, just across the valley. A Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Only 11, right? We've lost one. The son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. He's dead. (laughs) He's no longer with them. But remember, 12, significant number, 12 tribes of Israel. They were to be judges over Israel. So there's 11, so something's amiss. All these were with one accord, were de- with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, Jesus' brothers, physical brothers, half-brothers. And that's significant because before the resurrection, what did his family think of him? He's a little crazy. They would mock him, tease him a little bit, right? Uh, my brother's calling himself God. Ha! The Messiah? Sure. But not now. What's the difference? Oh, Jesus had, the risen Jesus had just spent six weeks with them. And now they saw, oh, matter of fact, one of them, James, what it, he he was became such a devout follower and preacher. Hey, my brother is God. <laughs> that that he he was such a preacher that he was actually hated so much by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that they took him to the top of the temple, tossed him off ninety feet fall to make sure he died. They clubbed him to death. But think about that. He was saying his brother is God. What an Something happened to him. As a matter of fact, he's one of the incontrovertible proofs that Jesus is Lord. The other one's Paul. Because Paul went from being a hater of Christians, a total hater of Christ, to being what? The biggest church planner, evangelist, writer of Scripture of all. Well, can explain that? Only the resurrection. I'm jumping to 1 Corinthians 15, but I'm back to this now. So James, brothers, and his brothers are there. Verse 15. In those days, during this time, Peter stood up among the brothers. He's taking more of a leadership role. The company of persons was in all about 120. So that's the beginning beginning group here that we have to work with. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Notice they keep going back to the scriptures. Which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He became the betrayer. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. This is a side note. 
And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Kind of gross, but it's a... How come he's not there? Well, he's dead. He committed suicide, and this is what happened to his body. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field that his body fell into was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is, or that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, again, written, this is talked about, this isn't unknown, this is what God had planned, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and, and this is what they're about to obey, let another take his office, take his place. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So what is, the quali- what is the qualifying characteristics of this person who would replace Judas? He had to be, been a part of the very beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through to the end and was an eyewitness of Jesus and his resurrection. All right? So that tells you there weren't just 12 disciples who hung out with Jesus. He had a whole group. We had 120 here, you know, two months after the resurrection. Right? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that there was a group of 500 people at one time who saw the risen Jesus. Okay, that's in 1 Corinthians 15. So there, there was a, a large following of Jesus. Not huge, huge, but at least 500. And here we have 120. So they have some people to choose from who could pot- potentially take the place of Judas. And they've got to do that. They need to have that 12th spot fulfilled. And they put, verse 23, they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles." The church fulfilling its role. You know, you've got to have leadership and just kind of seeing things keep continuing on here. So now we're through chapter 1. All right? So we're in Acts 1 now. Let's get into chapter 2. In chapter 2, if you know anything about it, what's the main topic? Pentecost, the beginning of the church. The church, this new, this new thing that was not totally known in the Old Testament. This, this new covenant era that was going to be made up of Gentiles being brought into the family of God to create this new thing called the church. So we have in verse, we'll just start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, that was one of the feasts, right? They didn't call it Pentecost after what happened here at this time. It was one of the seven feasts of Israel that they had all year long, and this one is Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Probably that upper room again. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, not a mighty rushing, not a mighty rushing wind, it didn't come in, but a sound like, so like a freight train coming in, right? A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we're, keep note about the tongues that are talked about here. 
Because throughout the book of Acts, when tongues are mentioned, they are known languages that were not taught to the person speaking. They were known languages understood by other people saying, wait, that's my language. How do you know that? And we'll see that happen here in in Acts chapter 2. Now there were, uh, verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had been Jews that had left the land of Israel, but then towards the end of their lives came back to live again in Jerusalem. And they were devout. And at this sound, the sound drew them, this mighty rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, the the disciples, speak in his own language from around the world. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, again, we talked about this when I preached on this. There was uh, prejudice in Israel. The closer you live to Judea, to Jerusalem, the more holy. Because the further out you went away, the more likely you were in contact with Gentiles. And if you had contact with them, oh, you're possibly unclean. As a matter of fact, Galilee, its problem was that the main highway, there's two highways uh, that went north-south, one right on the coast, the way of the sea, and then the King's Highway, which was on the other side of the Dead Sea, and there was a connector from one to the other, and it went from uh, basically uh, Carmel, Mount Carmel, all the way across the, Na- the, the Carmel Valley, I believe it's Carmel, all the way past Capernaum, the northern part of the, of the Sea of Galilee. In Capernaum, guess where Jesus' headquarters were for three years? His main headquarters was Capernaum. So Gal- that, this, is, this is a main highway. So the Galileans had all this contact with all these, you know, these traders going from Egypt to Iraq to, you know, or up and over to, to Europe, to over to Greece. So you have all these Gentiles who would be going on that connector highway right past. So in the mind of the, the Jews, oh, you're unclean, right? And, and the main center of learning, right, is in Jerusalem. So they're uneducated, all right? So do we, we have that kind of prejudice, don't we, right? Uh, what, where did you go to school? How many degrees do you have? You know, who, who do you follow on, on the radio? Where'd you go to school? <laughs> we do the same thing, right? But this is, this is what they were noticing. Aren't you all Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then he lists them out. Parthians and Medes. He starts in the east, right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites. Elam, that's Babylon. And residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So it wasn't just they heard them saying, uh, I need to use the restroom, can I have a taco, please? They were declaring in the languages not taught to them the mighty works of God. And what do you think the mightiest work of God was? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were hearing gospel. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Ah, that's a good question. And they were, and, and but, as always, 
Others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. Now we hear an explanation contradicting this in a second, but there's always mockers, right? But we see this, that, that the promise coming, you understand, they, there was an understanding that there was going to be a new age coming where the Spirit would be outpouring. And we'll see that in, in Peter's explanation. So they expected something, but they just didn't know it would look like this. And of course, they didn't know when it would arrive especially if it's connected to that blasphemous Jesus guy who they had just crucified. Because remember, where are they doing this? This is in Jerusalem. They might be right next to the temple doing this. Well, where they crucified him was barely a quarter mile away. We have to remember, this, everything that happened to Jesus was very public. It happened during Passover, the largest feast. Josephus says that there's probably six million Jews at that place, at that time. So this was a huge deal. And now, and now they're going, what? <laughs> this Jesus? Well, okay, they're, they're confused here. But then we do see uh, a Peter stepping up. Not the chicken Peter anymore. He's the transformed by the resurrection Peter. And then he explains this miraculous thing going on. And, and, he talk, and again, this goes to highlight the purpose of miracles is never to draw attention to the speaker. It's to draw attention to the message of the speaker. We have to remember that miracles and acts and the tongues is always to point to what is being done by the Lord. It's to, to authenticate uh, the credentials of sorts of these men of God who are empowered by God with this new message of the new covenant age. You've got to remember, there's other false teachers out there. I mean, there's other people who would claim to be the Messiah. But the difference with Jesus was his mighty works and his righteous character. And now, his, now that he's dead, what? He died? Wait a second. There's a bunch of them saying he rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. How do I know I can trust these guys? Hmm. Well, their message came with miracles. We'll see that throughout the book of Acts. But after a while, you see the miracles lessening. Why? Because the message was established. But we see that at the beginning. These miracles always had a point to authenticate these messengers. Hey, this is not just, hey, some new philosophy out there. This is, look at the moving, the power of God that's happening. So in verses 14 through 36, we see Peter's his sermon, and quite the, quite the you know, uh, response. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only 9 a.m., the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. We haven't had time to get drunk. Not that we would. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is what was said. This is prophesied. And here it is. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
He just quoted from Joel saying, this is the beginning of the end, the end period of time, right? But what is the last phrase? It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember, he says that. He quotes, this is, Joel says, this is how you're saved. Just remember, Paul, Peter's going to keep talking here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you publicly. This is no secret. A man proven to you, demonstrated as true by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, not in a corner of the world secretly, among tons of people. There was no way they could say it didn't happen. Their only way of saying it couldn't, that he wasn't the right one is that they attributed his power to Satan. He's demonic. Don't forget that. He did all these things in your midst, as you yourselves know. Talk about indictment. <laughs> this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was on purpose. His death wasn't by accident. God wanted this to happen. It says that in Isaiah 53, it pleased God to crush him. This was prophesied. It was, had to happen. You crucified. You're accountable for what you did, for rejecting him. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You colluded with the Romans. You say he's bad. You're the bad ones. You colluded with these Romans. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He can't be held down. <laughs> He's God. He can't be stopped. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Death can't hold him down. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. The Holy One that he saw that David prophesied about couldn't be held down by death. And because of that, David had hope. If he can't be held down by death, I know I have hope for an eternity. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. It was in Jerusalem. They have the tomb of David there. Where am I? Here we go. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he, God, would set one of his, David's, descendants on his throne, David's throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. The resurrection was prophesied. It was built into this. And I just lost where I was at. I'm all excited here. 32, thank you. Oh, there we go, thank you. This Jesus God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. They did not hide the fact that they saw the risen Christ. They weren't embarrassed about it. They couldn't stop talking about it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What's happening here is the Spirit's being poured out. The prophecy of Joel is happening right here in front of your faces. 
The Pentecost feast is being fulfilled right now. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Imagine saying, yeah, instead of in hindsight, oh, yeah, that happened 10 years ago, and oh, that was the prophecy. No, he's saying, no, it's happening right here, right now, today. This is what you're seeing. Wow. Where am I again? I'm sorry, I get off, off of this. There we go. For David did not ascend into the heavens... But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he answered the question that Joel, or not the question, but he said, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved by saying, Jesus is the one that is the Savior. He is the one provided and prophesied by Joel. And then in this next section, we'll we'll end with this section here, what happens at the end of uh, chapter 2. We see that the beginning (laughs) of the church because of this sermon. The people of God are formed now in this new church because of this. There's a response when they, they request, what do we do? And the result is the church begins. And then again, the rest of Acts is just the, the travel log of just this steamrolling church of God's kingdom expanding. Now, when they heard this, the people, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I don't blame them. And Peter said to them, repent. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, meaning Gentiles, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, again, his, I just read his portion about five minutes with extra comments. But it says, and with many other words, he's a good preacher. (laughs) And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who rejected, you have a chance now. You're hearing this. Don't do what they did. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day, About 3,000 souls. Wow. (laughs) Quite the sermon, huh? That's the moving of the Spirit. He didn't didn't manufacture this. This is just the Spirit at work. And he was just being a faithful proclaimer. And we're all the same way. We just proclaim. We just point people to Jesus and see what the Lord has in store. Because if he's calling them to himself, we just get to be the people who help usher them in to meet Jesus. Amazing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, dinner and doctrine, (laughs) to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, these men who were being given the the authority and the authentication by these miracles. And all who believed were together. There was unity. And all had things in common. They were sharing their family. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They didn't sell everything they owned, but they sold what they needed to help others. You understand, when, when these Jews were becoming followers of Jesus Christ, they were saying, hey, I believe Yahweh has come in the flesh. Oh, and by the way, the religious leaders rejected him. So if you became a Christian, most likely you were kicked out of your family and your home, and you were disassociated from the synagogue. So yeah, there's a bunch of people who were homeless. And there were, remember, there were Jews from around the world who were there for the feasts. And so they needed to stick around and get grounded in the faith before they went back. Matter of fact, many believe that believers from this period of time began the church in Rome. Because the church in Rome, Paul hadn't planted it. He, when he wrote to them, he says, hey, I want to come see you, have fruit with you too. But it was started by someone else. And many believe it was during this time period. But they had to sell things to help people, to you know, give them a place to stay. They're sleeping on floors maybe, and, but having to have food. So they had to help each other out. And day by day, attending the temple together, we, <laughs> if we visit church twice a week, we're like, oh, come on. <laughs> day by day. <laughs> day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, changed lives. They're joyful, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And that's one of another markers in, in Acts. He, there's, you'll see all this flurry of activity, and then they'll say, and the Lord continued to build the church in this way. So we'll, we'll stop here, um, and so we'll pick this up next week, and maybe we'll get into that, you know, that section of chapter 4 as well. So as we're watching this, just be remember just the movement of the Spirit, this freight train just gathering steam, just amazing. So now yeah, let's pray. And uh, let's be like Theophilus. Let's be encouraged about our faith. Our faith is grounded and true. Our faith is rooted in history and centers on Jesus Christ. And boy, let's have the same passion, that conviction that these men and women had too. All right, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Lord, uh, just reading through this, I'm encouraged and excited because of what you have done. And here we are 2,000 years later, and you continue to do. Nations rise up against you and your word. Peoples and philosophies, and, and they try to destroy the, the name of Christ and, and the scriptures and, and, and the Christian church, the real church. And Lord, you can't be stopped. You can't be stopped. And, and because of that, we have so much hope. Lord, help us to be like this early church so in love with you, so convicted and con with, with passion about our faith. Not to shove it in people's faces, but to say, hey, all men everywhere are commanded to repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're commanded to obey and believe in and follow and submit to the gospel. Doesn't matter what political party, <laughs> as our country is currently going through all this tum tumultuous times, Lord, you are the one who we trust in. You are the risen Lord, the reigning Lord, and we long for your return. You still reign no matter what happens in any nation here on earth. You are the king, and we love you, and we praise you, and we pray that you would be exalted by how our church lives our life day to day, 
in the little decisions. That's where you're most glorified. We love you, Lord. Thank you for uh, what you're doing. We pray that you'd be, uh, that we'd have your blessing as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen.